Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill, it cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Holy God, may your light shine among us today so that our light may shine among the world. Amen. So the mission of, of Christ Lutheran Church, it's, it's hanging there on the banner. Do you see it? Can you all read that for me? What does that say? I can't see it well. I love that. I love that. And there's a great uh, image there of the top of Christ Lutheran with a, a, a light, a cross, shining with a light around it. We say we are God's beacon on the hill, the light of this community. This, this is a good mission. Some years ago, I was invited to visit my friend Caleb in Kenya, uh, who was studying to be a pastor. He was at the Presbyterian Seminary in, in Lemuru. After a day of attending classes with Caleb, we went to his home, which is located there on the seminary campus. I met Caleb's wife and, and his, his three young children. And when it came time for supper, it was, it was already very dark outside. And so we gathered in his, his living room with big bowls of goat stew, and we settled in while the evening news played on the TV. Caleb's youngest daughter was about three years old, and she had been naturally a bit wary of me since I had arrived, but at this point she had warmed up to me and she was snuggled next to me on the couch with her own bowl of soup. 
Well into my second serving that evening, the lights in the house began to flicker. And then the TV went black and the lights in the whole house went out. The electricity was gone. It was pitch black. And Caleb's daughter began scrambling. I could feel her squirming beside me, scrambling to get to her mother and her father. She was crying out into the dark, Mzungu Yukawapi! Mzungu Yukawapi! Betty, you know, her family was laughing at this point. They were dying laughing because she was asking suddenly, Where is the white man? Where is the white man? As she scrambled to get away from me. Because she assumed that my skin would be glowing in the dark. Not being able to see the stranger in her midst was very unsettling for her. What good is a pale fellow if he can't at least reflect some light when the power goes out? But that is what Jesus calls his disciples, calls each of us to be for the world. A source of light, a comfort, a beacon guiding people to God, where hopefully they will find people who can provide blessings and love and grace and belonging, those essentials, those essentials that we all need in life to survive. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's faith 101 class. He's seated there on the mountain with his disciples at his feet, and he is teaching them about the value of their faith in God. And as he does, he is connecting them to the very core principles of our shared religious tradition. His disciples are Jewish. He is connecting them to the core principles of their own tradition. And he is helping us to discover the meaning of our shared faith in God, the meaning of our discipleship of Jesus Christ, not for their own sakes, but for the sake of the world. Those first followers, they were pretty new at this point to discipleship. Jesus had just called them off of their fishing boats, and they were suddenly in the deep end of ministry. And I think at this point they must have had some of those pretty big questions by now. Like, what in the world is going on with this guy? He had healed masses of people. Where did all these sick people come from? Who is he? What kind of teaching is this? Why are we following? Beloved, these are the questions that we must be addressing in the church today as we attempt to serve as salt and light in the world. Questions like, why church? What is the point of all of this? Why follow Jesus? The church has not made clear to the world the true value of discipleship in Christian community. We are now seeing the largest decline in the church in any of our lifetime. At least two generations of Americans are walking away from the church or have never had a relationship 
with the church in the first place. The fastest growing belief system in America, do you know what it is? Those who have no belief system. They are called the religiously unaffiliated. And lest you think that the millennials of a generation that I belong to and Gen Z, the generation right behind me, lest you think that we are abandoning the church to go elsewhere, we are not. We are also finding, research is finding, uh, that there is greater social isolation among the next two generations, millennials and Gen Zers. The rates of anxiety and depression in this generation is skyrocketing. Recent research has shown that millennials are most likely of any generation to die from alcohol and drug-related deaths. These are called deaths of despair. If ever there was a time for the church's mandate to love, to be a light of hope for the despairing, it is now, beloved, it is now that we are needed the most. Imagine the crowds that flocked to Jesus and he healed every kind of illness among every one of them. Well, the crowds didn't go anywhere. They are still here, but the church is not attracting them for healing. I'd go so far as to say that the mainline church's decades of self-absorption with doctrine and church growth has resulted in the very thing that the church has feared, cultural irrelevance, empty buildings, and far worse, far, far worse, young people who are suffering from despair because they have no connection to the healing and the redeeming and the accepting and the justice-seeking body of Christ, the true church. We heard from Isaiah today, we heard from Isaiah today, which Kate read just so powerfully, that was spoken long, long before Jesus ever walked the earth. And yet, it speaks the same important truth to us today. Our concern is not for the survival of the church. Our church exists for the sake of the suffering. Isaiah said, the purpose of worship is not worship itself. In fact, Isaiah mocks those who go through the motions of worship, but for no apparent reason other than their own desires. They wonder why they keep going to worship and they're fasting and they're doing all of the religious things, but they can't see God. Isaiah says, well, look, look, it's because you are serving your own interests on your fast day. You, you worship and then you go and you oppress your workers. He basically says you do all the religious stuff, but then you bicker and quarrel amongst yourselves. It's pointless. Which is the criticism that I hear from many who are of no particular religion today level right at us. You don't need this to be a good person, do you? You say you love Jesus, but look how you've treated the poor. You say you love Jesus, but look how you bicker. Look how your church has shamed so many people out right out the door. You go to your prayer breakfasts and then you refuse to help immigrants and you bar refugees and you scorn those who are hungry 
in need of aid. Or as Isaiah says, the worship that I require has nothing to do with your praise bands or your liturgy. What I choose, says the Lord, what the Lord demands of the church is to undo the bonds of injustice, to let the oppressed go free. It is to share your bread with the hungry, bring the homeless poor into your very house. When you see the naked, cover them. The church's survival is predicated on our work on behalf of those in need. We have received grace in abundance in order that we become grace in real, literal, tangible ways for the hungry and the persecuted and the sick and the suffering. If the church dies, it will not be because of doctrine or worship styles. It will be for the reasons we've always been told throughout Scripture, that we turned our back on the world of suffering, that we abdicated our responsibility to be the purifying salt of the earth, the guiding, hopeful, hope-filled light of the world. Isaiah continues with a solution. If you want your light to shine, he says, if you want your light to shine, if you want God to bless you, to shine on you, and then give your food to the hungry, satisfy the needs of the afflicted, and then your light shall rise in the darkness, and God will guide you continually. There's another story I love in the Old Testament about a prophet named Elijah. Elijah followed Elijah. He took on his mantle. God appointed Elijah a prophet after he took Elijah into heaven. And as soon as Elijah is appointed this prophet, immediately the folks around him, the city around him, came to him about a very real practical problem in their city. They tell Elijah, look, this, this city is great. It's great. We, we love the location of this city, but the water is bad. They say the water here is bad and it's making the land unfruitful. So Elijah, he says, okay, bring me a new bowl, put salt in it. Salt. Put salt in it. So they did. And then he went to the spring of water and he threw the salt into the water. And he said, thus says the Lord, I have made this water wholesome. For now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from this water. So the water, the Bible says, has been wholesome to this day. If it happened today, if it happened today, it's Flint, Michigan. In Flint, the water was undrinkable. It was filled with lead. It was poisoning the children. It was awful. It's still awful. So the people of Flint get sent Elijah as their prophet. He takes this holy salt, he tosses it into the water system, and then miraculously, the water is perfect. No more sick kids. We are to be the prophets. Jesus knew about this story when he tells his disciples that they are the salt. They are the salt of the earth. You exist for a very practical purpose, to be stewards of creation 
and servants of the suffering, to do things like help make clean drinking water, to help folks who are sick get the care they need, to help folks who don't have a place to live and get housing, to help people who are lonely and who are lost and who are wondering and wandering to have a place to belong, to fellowship, a family that cares about them. Jesus straight up tells the church that if you are salt and you aren't helping to preserve or purify, then you are useless and the world is going to walk all over you. Looking at the credibility of the church today, where clergy have the lowest ranking and credibility of almost any other office, any other job in America, doesn't it look like a bit like we are being tossed aside? But it doesn't have to be this way. Just as Elijah, just as Isaiah said, just as Jesus was reminding, recalling his disciples in this pivotal moment, it doesn't have to be this way. It's the same with light. Jesus says, you, we are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. What's the point of a light if you put it under a bucket? God created us to be light in dark places, not hiding inside churches. To be the light of the world. We exist to shine. We exist to shine. The church that is not present with those who are experiencing darkness in any form is not a church, plain and simple. It's a candle under a basket. It's useless. Church is to be a torch, guiding people through bumpy paths in life, guiding people to places of help. The church is to be the flashing lights of first responders rushing to provide aid. The church is to be a lighthouse, pointing out where there is danger ahead, showing the way to safe harbor. The church is to be the bright, open sign of a 24-hour diner where inside table fellowship with other weary, happy travelers, happy to be together, are gathered, and you are all welcome. The church is to be a hospital underneath the glowing red cross, where the sick are made well and restored, not only to themselves, but to their communities. Jesus says, you are the light of the whole world. Be light. Shine throughout this house. Let your light shine before others. I'm wrapping up. I, let me just say that this is our reason for being church. It's to preserve not ourselves. We don't need to fear our survival. We don't need to fear about our traditions and our institutions. We need but preserve the world. Purify the unclean places so they might be fresh expressions of new life. We exist as light not to point to ourselves, but to show the way out of darkness to a new and to a good life. The institutional church, it is in a very anxious place right now. I'm very grateful that we don't feel all of that effect here at Christ Lutheran, but there are some very anxious churches out there. But the unchanging word of the Lord from the prophets of old through Christ all the way to us today. It teaches us that the people of God exist for a reason. 
It is to glorify and to enjoy God forever by becoming communities of welcome and healing and hope for the persecuted, the wandering, the fleeing, the suffering, to be the salt and the light for the blessed. When we do this, when we follow in Jesus's way, when we engage in his action, when we reflect in his word, when we engage in his works again and again, well, the words of Isaiah Church, they are good news to us. For Isaiah says, then when you do this, your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations, millennials, Gen Z, many generations, and you shall be called repairers of the breach, restorer of the streets. May it be so. Amen.